I'm Kate Daniels. Living here in the Northwest, we can easily take for granted the feeling of living in a huge, magnificent garden. The truth is that in the midst of all our greenery, there's still so much we can and want to do to create even more beautiful spaces and even a sanctuary. That is what Madeline Wilde did for some decades in her garden space on Queen Anne. She wrote newspaper columns about her experiences, and those entertaining and informative columns have been lovingly worked on by Mike Dillon, who has combined them into a lovely book, Notes from the Garden, Creating a Pacific Northwest Sanctuary. Mike Dillon, good morning. Thank you so greatly for being with us this morning. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Well, I am very excited. I'm enthusiastic about having you join us this morning. We have this wonderful new book, Notes from the Garden, Creating a a Pacific Northwest Sanctuary. Uh, I have this in my hand, written by, well, these are columns that Madeline Wilde wrote uh, over, um, well, almost two decades of her experience in her own garden uh, at the, on Queen Anne. And it's just, uh, besides being a wonderful book about gardening, I found, it's also just really intriguing essays about the beauty of the area and really getting a, a sense throughout all the seasons of what went on. So speaking of seasons, you edited the all, all these uh, columns that uh, Madeline had written and have divided mm-hmm. the book in into the four seasons. So that makes it really kind of an interesting read for us. Yeah, and the other thing I think is important to know is is the columns are laid out not according to calendar time, but to garden time, so that uh, there's a sense of progress through the seasons and an unfolding or a withering, whatever the season happens to be. So a column written in September 1999 might uh, precede a column written in September 1993. So there's a rhythm to each season as the seasons would flow, and the book reflects that. Right. And the the year doesn't really necessarily matter as much, yes, as, as the season and uh, her experience and thus our experience of yeah. what transpires. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, Mike, are you a gardener yourself? No. <laughs> no. I mean, that, there's an irony in that. Um, uh, my wife is, and so I... I you know, help her do the heavy lifting, and um, but I'm not. And uh, you know, I, I was Madeline's publisher. Madeline wrote a, a column for one of the papers I published, the Queen Anne and Magnolia News, which was the weekly. And um, you know, I spotted early on an, an exceptional writer. And even though I wasn't a gardener, I found myself reading her columns every week. And um, I realized that, of course, there was a lot more going on in those columns than just uh, things about gardening. Madeline saw the garden as sort of a metaphor for the world. Um, you know, more than just the turn of the seasons, it was all the elements that you find in the garden, the sun and the soil and the labor and the micro and the macro and the light and the shade and the intense focus and the letting go and 
probably having more questions than answers and also a sort of proper respect for the mystery. But most of all, she was very good at describing what was right in front of her. And I think I've learned uh, that gardening is, is part of it is the art of paying attention and, and seeing what is going on right in front of you. And for her as a writer, being able to describe that, and she did that very well. Yes, her writing is really mesmerizing, uh, aside from the fact that there, I find that there are definitely great gardening tips and, and uh, yes. directions for us. Just uh, her, the way that she forms her sentences, the words and language she uses is just so um, all-encompassing. It just really draws you in. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. Um, the book has plenty of uh, information about practical tips, I mean, the finer points of mulching and what have you, and they can get technical at times. And I've done a few readings of the book, um, and usually I let people know that information is in there, but I usually read from the more lyrical side of her writing because she was able to com combine the poetic and the practical. And I have an example right here. I mean, I have a few examples of her columns right in front of me. And um, in terms of her ability to form a sentence and to see what was going on in front of her, this is a um, column called Sword Fern, a primeval unfolding from April 1995. So I'm just going to read the first two paragraphs, if you don't mind. Not at all. It'll give you an idea of her style. The garden continues to come to life. The spring bulbs are in full glory beneath the deciduous trees filled with tender new leaves. There is a sense of a grand unfolding, and nothing represents this better than the sword fern croziers that are lifting their heads skyward. These new fern leaves are often also called fiddleheads and are the edible part of the fern plant. Each day brings greater emergence as the croziers unfurl in scroll-like fashion. There is no riotous color to attract the eye, so why the intense fascination? For me, they evoke a sense of the primeval, the unfolding, the unbending, the loosening of a beginning. So that's how the column begins, and, and that kind of writing, you know, it just really struck me right off the bat, so... And it's interesting uh, when I was looking at some of the columns and, and choosing what was what popped out at me. That was one of the ones, partly uh. because I was thinking, oh, this is so key because I have these ferns growing in my yard, and sometimes they can be rather annoying. But I've finally, over time, just allowed them to be. And it, that has changed in me as as one who aspires to be a gardener, that this is just part of nature and just to see the beauty in it. So this gave me, a, you know, an added layer of understanding and appreciation of this wonderful plant. Absolutely. And, you know, that, that carries on throughout the book. And I, I think my phrase for all that is the shock of the familiar, these things that we're used to that are, that are going on around us. And then you have a writer like Madeline being able to point it out and to tell you what's going on. It's just an, another dimension to living where we live in the Northwest. And that is something, again, to appreciate rather than just always go, flying through life and just taking things at s surface value is being able to appreciate the, the greater kind of 
aura around it and, yeah. and what is beyond, right? Right. And, you know, the word sanctuary is in the title, the subtitle of the book. And for Madeline, her her garden was a sanctuary. Um, and I think everybody needs one. And, and one of the attractions of the book is, is, is her style is sort of, it's as if she's confiding in you one on one and that she's opening the garden gate and for you to enter and she's showing you around and talking about the garden but also about life and um so, so yeah all that's there i i i'm prepared to read <laughs> a, a few other things from the book cuz i just think they're so they illustrate so well i'd love some it the things i'm t- talking about and this is from february of 1995 in the beginning of a column called what the snow tells so this here are the first three paragraphs and it's just sort of you know again the shock of the familiar how the snow changes our whole perception of where we are light snow beautifully delineates the structure of our gardens it's almost like having a perfectly executed topographical map of our gardens handed to us for study the effects of the wind are clearly shown in the small drifts, while the protected areas show remarkably less accumulation. The garden structures, including paths, fences, walls, bird baths, lampposts, and mailboxes, create geometric shapes that add abundant contrast to the plant forms. The whiteness causes the eye to travel beyond our garden borders to encompass all of the surrounding landscape. I look at the edges of all of our property lines. Suddenly they become minor elements in the whitened scene. We are encompassed by a snowy landscape that embraces us all. And I found that lovely. And our, our precious property lines disappear. Mm. And, and there's a commonality and, uh, you know, to life all of a sudden, the way the snow covers everything. So there... Madeline had that gift. Definitely, because just on the surface level, once again, it brings to mind those visions of when we've had snowy days and how beautifully it softens the landscape. But she is able to to just describe it in such wonderful prose that uh, it just brings it to life once again. Yeah. And, you know, I I think we should say at this point that, uh, you know, Madeline died in... uh, February of, of 2018, and uh, over the years, I had suggested to her that she gather her columns into a, uh, a book uh, manuscript and send it out to the world and see what happens. And you know, that's a moonshot. Um, it's very difficult to have a happy ending, and um, and it happened. Um, and bef- before she died, she asked me if I would take up the task, and I said, of course, not only because we were friends, but uh, I just felt her work uh, deserved a wider audience. And, um, you know, and Madeline's husband is David Stretfield, who's uh, a professor emeritus in the Department of Landscape Design at the University of Washington. So she kind of had someone to talk to while she was gardening all those years and writing all those years. Um, so I put, I, you know, David gave me a box of old old newspaper uh, cuttings of, of her column because I didn't have any electronic files, and so I inputted those. <laughs> and um, over the summer of 2018, and then I, 
at, at some point I came into the electronic files, probably in the late 90s, uh, starting with those columns. David had the electronic files and put together a manuscript of about 60,000 words and cut it down to about 48,000. And I just felt like this is something, you know, whether it ha- whether it ever sees the light of day, this is really good. And I sent it out, and uh, and to n- numerous places, it was accepted by a New York publisher, and then it was accepted by Chatwin Books, who published it, um, and they're in Pioneer Square, and they do beautiful work, and um, we wanted to work with somebody closer to home, and um, Chatwin uh, yeah, just has, uh, um, they're just passionate and well-informed bookmakers, and um, so it was, and then they hire, they have an illustrator, Mark Kinshaw did the illustrations who used to be architectural critic for the Seattle times and crosscut. So it was a very beautiful production and a really pleasant process in getting this book out to the public. And, um, the other thing I will will say in, in regards to a moonshot, because you just never know, even once it's published, how it's going to be received. And the, the press is, Uh, was really positive. The Seattle Times in January of this year um, did a two-page spread in their uh, Pacific Magazine section on Sunday. Lorraine Edwards Forkner is the writer. And um, if if you don't mind, I can just read you a little bit of what she wrote. Please. Um, Hardworking garden resources and photo-filled design Titles are pragmatic and inspiring, but those books don't lodge in my heart the way most garden memoirs do. Filled with thoughtful reflection, expert advice, and let's face it, fellow commiseration, gardeners who write about their gardens seem to see their way into our own growing spaces. Madeline Wilde was such a gardener and a writer. And um, Brian Thompson, who uh, writes reviews for the Washington Park Arboretum Bulletin called Notes, quote, a treasure to be cherished by, by all local gardeners, so so on and so forth. I mean, the reviews are really good, and that was really nice to, you know, just to realize that one's instincts, that this is really good, were, were somehow reaffirmed by those who really know what they're looking at when they're looking at garden writing. Yes, and then for those of us who uh, are either enthusiasts or want to be gardeners or just think that, I want to leave a little more beauty in the landscape around me for others to enjoy. I feel that this really has a guide to it and maybe beyond the guiding part of it. You know, we immerse ourselves into the beauty of the language and and the stories that Madeline weaves through her development and and her wandering through the neighborhoods. She would do that, right? And yeah. and, and note things. She would yeah i mean again that um as the snow sort of uh, smothers our property lines i mean madeline was very aware of the world outside of her garden too and and would wandering and um look at the trees and so you know she she didn't think or work in isolation her garden and and her landscape was part of the greater scene and um there's one column where she you know she she's looking at her water elements in in her garden you know these these pools and so on and and she brings in the whole looking west the across the pacific to, to japan that sort of japanese element i mean so that to say there was a constant sort of shuttle between the micro 
microcosm and the macrocosm back and forth, which I really love, and it's just the proper way to look at things. Yes, and and again, you brought up the the softening of the the property lines and how the the snow doing that, but then being a metaphor, how that can be our life, how we can somehow cover those property lines, so we see the the beauty in what is just all of us. Yep, absolutely, yeah. absolutely, and you know she had a. Someone taught me a word about a year ago, a writer, and the word is autotelic. It's a wonderful word, I, and it, it means essentially the ability to uh, to find delight in things without any outside stimulus, and that is, or depending on anyone else or anything else to be able to generate delight. And Madeline had that capacity, and there's one. Uh, column she wrote that that really demonstrates that and I'll read you just the ending of the column it's from August of 1993 and the title of the column is at the helm of a beautiful yacht this is this is how it ends stroll around your garden with a notepad and tape measure is this the year to replace that narrow broken walkway you use every week to roll out the garbage can. It's hard to describe the sheer pleasure I experience each week as I use my new walkway. Originally, it was 24 inches wide, just as wide as the wheelbase of the heavy monthly recycling bin. The path was cracked and had been lifted by tree roots, making for little bumps that threw the big bin off into the garden beds. My new walkway is 30 inches wide and smooth as silk. As I roll my can, to the curb each week, I feel as though I were at the helm of the world's most beautiful yacht. It's pretty good. It is definitely very good. And again, there there's that practical piece of it, you know, bringing to light that, but then finding again the the poetry and kind of the the bigger experience of what goes on and and appreciating it really. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, that reminds me of another part that I that really spoke to me, uh, because you're mentioning the sidewalk, but um, she writes um, in the autumn about the art of raking and how what a difference the rake makes. She says, it breaks my heart when I see these plastic rakes being used. They transmit all of that raking impacts back onto the body, and they're incapable of doing corners where the wind usually deposits most of the leaves. So here's here's some practical input, but the way that she describes it is amazing. Yeah, yeah. And um, right, getting the right kind of rake and uh, there's another, uh, and I don't have it at my fingertips, but there's another wonderful column about raking and, uh, and sort of the way she, she distributed the leaves um, in piles was sort of like painting for her. Oh, she, she actually gets into Van Gogh. Yes. Describing the skies and the landscape. <laughs> and so, she, you know, she, she can start out at point A and end up at point C. And that's another one of the, the beauties of a writing is you never 
sure where where she's headed so it's always kind of an adventure but for madeline you know um there was a right way to do things and so she she uh wrote one column about the woodpile and the art of stacking a woodpile and you know it's it's do it right and i remember reading that column when it came out and i went home and looked at my wood pile. <laughs> I thought, oh no, <laughs> I'll keep this to myself. <laughs> but then don't we so, learn, didn't you, you became more conscious of it, thinking, well, maybe I will eventually do this differently. You know, my wood pile's looking a lot better these days. <laughs> <laughs> so don't we have a lot to be thankful for, for all the experiences Madeline Wilde shares with us in her book, Notes from the Garden, where we can appreciate or hopefully more appreciate what is around us and what we have and, and, and take time to really enjoy it. And, and maybe if we can do it a little to uh, encourage it along and make it better. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I have two fragments that I'd like to read, and one is the last paragraph from her first column in the book, which is March 1997, it's called Contemplative Time, and this is just, again, one of those little autotelic gifts to herself that she's sharing that we might pick up on, and the last paragraph reads, on the really frightful stormy days, Pick one of our spring flowers and bring it to your table. Take the time to study it ever so closely, for these blooms are a world unto themselves, but with markings and veinings to delight the eye. There it all begins. So again, the the art of seeing, of really looking. That takes... That takes time, I was going to say, just to pause and savor that. Yeah. And the last two paragraphs in the last column in the book, which is from March 2009, the column is called Spring Vagaries. And this, so this, these are sort of bookends to the entire book. But she says, I remember my father staking his trees. Those trees were lashed ever so tightly to his beautiful stakes. Before the stake was hammered into the ground, it had been sanded and buffed to perfection. He always used redwood or cedar. And then slowly and methodically, over several years, he would release the trees from his protection. Towards the end of his life, he knew that he would never see their grandeur as mature trees but he still planted as many saplings as he could wherever possible. In my garden, I have five of his saplings now looking like grown-up trees. Of course, I always worry when the winds are gusty that maybe I remove the stakes too soon. So far, all is well. So the book ends on a high note. And um, in its its typical Madeline is, you know, she she was uh, intellectually um, rigorous and and um, and just a, a brave person and with her chin up, and um, that's reflected in her writing as well. And the reader picks up on that. 
Oh, yes, most definitely. And Mike, you said that you had suggested to her the idea of taking her columns to creating a book, but she didn't actively do that herself. It was only after her death that you and David then really pulled this all together. Is that right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, David gave me the materials, and then I took them home and, and, and went to work and just focused on it. And I probably the, the the normal drill when you send out a book manuscript is not to send the whole manuscript. You send a, a query letter and um, maybe three sample pages, and then if they want to see more, they'll ask for more. And um, so I, I sent out a lot. But what I realized halfway through that process was because I was sending them to garden publishers, and I have no experience with garden publishers, book publishers. And I realized it, it's not just a garden book. So I needed to broaden my focus because, and look at the, what other publishers were doing out there that were more literary and more encompassing. And, you know, I, I could almost write a book about the process of, of sending out a book uh, to book publishers. I had one uh, garden book publisher in the Midwest, and I'd send a query letter and some sample columns. And I didn't hear back, and I forgot about them. And maybe a year and a half later, I heard back from uh, someone identifying herself as the brand new uh, submissions editor. And had I heard back from the managing editor, and I wrote back and I said, no, I haven't heard back. And it's been a year and a half. And she says, well, I'm going to send it to her right now, and um, and let's see what happens. So I said, great, thank you. And then I heard back from her um, the next day, the submissions manager said, did you hear back from the managing editor? I said, no, actually, I haven't. And that's that was the last contact. <laughs> and that's what writers have to go through. So, you know, four years later and counting, or three years, um, I still haven't heard back. I don't expect to. <laughs> but that's that's fairly typical. Um, and then others get back to you who are very gracious. Um, uh, uh, the editor of a very well-known uh, uh, university uh, press, and they usually take forever and a day to ever respond uh, Either way, the wheels just turn very slowly. But I heard back two days later from this editor and said, you know, this is lovely writing and, and it'll find a place out there, but it's just not right for us because anyway, he went into all the reasons why. But I just thought that was at least that was a gracious and, uh, and quick response. So th that's the best scenario, even when they say no. Yes, it, it can be very discouraging and very hard. So I'm saying, you know, when we were accepted by uh, publisher in New York, and then Chatwin, um, who has a really interesting uh, list of books they publish, and mainly of a literary bent. Uh, uh, I was overjoyed. So it's worked out really well. It does feel like the perfect uh, resolution that Chatwin being local, it just makes it all feel like all family-like and, and inclusive. You're right, and and Madeline would have appreciated it as well. No, You're absolutely right. This is really great. So we want to let people know this book came out early this year, but it is timeless, of course. Notes from the Garden, Creating a Pacific Northwest Sanctuary. It really speaks to us in the Northwest. 
to anybody. I just the prose is enough to just really take us, you know, on a on a wonderful journey. But I I really want to think that we here in this area where we want to keep working on our landscapes and beautifying what is beautiful, but there's always work that can be done. That this is one way that we can really uh, embrace that passion that Madeline Wilde had and make it work in wherever place we find ourselves. Yes, yes. I mean, you you really have, I must say, a, a very good sense of the book, and uh, our feelings are running in parallel lines. I feel the same way, and I appreciate that. I mean, you've obviously, you've gotten it. Well, it is beautiful. It, yes, it resonates with me, and I feel it can resonate with most of us at, at some different level. As I think we've covered during our conversation this morning, Mike, I really appreciate that uh, you are such a champion for Madeline and, and her work and for our community, and I do thank you so greatly for spending time with us this morning. Well, I really appreciate it, and I've enjoyed talking with you, so thank you very much. You're so welcome.